0: All right, well, good morning, everyone, and uh, it's, um, we're about to start a new year, and um, the message has absolutely nothing to do with that, but uh, if I don't see you again, I'll wish you a happy new year. And um, this morning, we're going to talk about us as peculiar people, and uh, peculiar we are in many ways, all of them good, hopefully. Um, in the mix, we'll be talking too about believers who are who are not genuine believers that we run into. We're also going to, to and uh, some of those that uh, the Bible actually calls believers, but explains the reason for calling them that, and we'll see some of those texts this morning. And um, uh, we we're going to talk about uh, the whole variety. Of, um, lost people, including those who profess to be believers, those who don't. We're going to talk about those who are, the Bible calls, wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, but you know, in the mix there, there are also an awful lot of nice, unsaved people. And we need to know how to react and respond in, in all of these cases. So... Uh, if uh, we have Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 up, um, before we begin, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together and uh, to uh, be challenged from your word, Father, and to, to hear what you have to say to us. And Father, for the uh, the singing that we've enjoyed and, and the fellowship, Lord, we just praise you for it. Father, there are still people uh, here that have to travel home and There are people, Christians all over that that are going to be still traveling, and Father, we just pray for weather conditions, and and Lord, that uh, you would uh, help them on their way as they return to their homes and get back to their normal schedules, and serving you in their churches and so on. Lord, we just pray you'd help us to concentrate on your word this morning and what you have for us, and we just uh, pray for your anointing, and uh, the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, in Jesus' name, amen. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now, I've had um, Ben put the King James Version of this up because that's the only version that I know of that uses that word peculiar. Uh, Yours might say something like a people for his own possession. Uh, It might say his own special people. But the King James uses that word "peculiar," and it's a good word. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit as we uh, browse, uh, peruse back through these uh, these four verses. These four verses are the most jam-packed verses um, on this subject that uh, that I think is is found in all of Scripture. We have chapters, entire chapters, that teach the things that are taught here. But the Holy Spirit has so intricately crafted these four verses that to make them succinct and and yet jam-packed uh and and not only uh and even though they are jam-packed with information very easy to understand and um so let's begin with verse 11 again and begin to to uh, pull this apart a little bit verse 11 says for the grace of god that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men uh, when I was first diagnosed with my cancer, and I had to go to Highland Hospital for some tests, uh, by the way, they uh, I'm way down at the other end now of the treatments, and uh, they, ex- they expect that everything's fine. They won't be able to tell for a few months until uh, they can get some decent PSA numbers, what they call it, but uh, they're confident in that, so I praise God for that. But when I first had to go to the hospital for uh, scans and so on to make sure there's nothing anywhere else, and uh, those were all clean, but um, one of the techs, his name was John, and I had the privilege of witnessing to him. Uh, and it was in the um, uh, the CAT scan room, and the, another tech heard the witness because he was preparing the, the CAT scan table, so it was really two for one. I praise the Lord for that. But, um, Uh, John asked me a question when I was through sharing the gospel with him. He said, um, well, what if some people never hear? What if some people don't hear? And I told him, well, you know, John, there's a verse in the Bible that tells us that all men hear. I said, but you know what? That really doesn't matter to you and I because I heard years ago and I responded. Now you've heard. And now you have an opportunity to respond. And that, that worked fine for him. The Holy Spirit just has an amazing way of, of letting you know what to say. And, um, he, um, John was fine with that. And, um, so the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So somewhere along the line, people learn of the grace of God that brings salvation in their lifetime. And, um, We just just need to make sure that we're about doing our job to fulfill that. And um, if we're walking with God, that'll happen. It'll happen. All right, verse 12. Teaching us, the, the, the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God teaches us when He saves us by His grace that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live sober, and that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world if we're going to be the influence that we need to be and that we should be. You're not going to convince the world of anything by being like Him. It just doesn't work that way. You'll convince them that they're okay. That's the best you'll do. So we need to stand out in contrast to them and um, and not be timid or, or feel awkward or anything else about uh, what we stand for and uh, exactly where we stand on things with regard to God. So uh, we're instructed to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. In other words, clean up our act. And we know that's an ongoing process, we know we're not perfect, but you know, once we get going in our Christian life, God has a way of making us look, look absolutely perfect in situations where we're sharing with someone else. And you know, that's easy to understand because when, when you know how when, when God does that, when he brings you into contact with someone to share, and you can kind of feel the hair on the back of your neck go up and, and you just... Uh, And you can feel the Holy Spirit working. And everything you share is from the Word of God. And your countenance is is godly. And uh, the Holy Spirit is powerful. Just powerful in those situations. And then, don't don't you wish it could be like that all the time? You know, then we get down and we get discouraged and in between. But God picks us up. He has a way of doing that. Um... Now, verse 13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jan just sang that for us, and she repeated that that statement in that song about four or five times. The great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of texts that talk about God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as as two separate texts. Individuals of the the Trinity. But here, because it says that we are, we look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing, it's going to be Jesus Christ. This is all about Jesus Christ because He is the one that is going to appear when this, whenever this is all over with and take us home. And that's our blessed hope. So the text, because of this context, says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this case, the reference to that great God is to Jesus Christ. He's God. Now, Isaiah prophesied that um, uh, he's the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The everlasting Father, the prince of peace now as we zoom forward to John chapter 1 I want you to say the last two words of this you, you know it by heart but I'll, I'll clue you in to say the last two words in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he's God now when we move ahead to John chapter 14 that's the in my father's house there are many mansions or dwelling places depending on the version and so on, and the Lord is talking to his disciples. And it comes to a point where he says to them um, that uh, he, he's the father and that he's uh, in his ministry. Um, uh, that's who he is. And they didn't it didn't click, at least with Philip. So Philip said, Lord, show us the father, and it will suffice us. And the Lord said, Philip, have I been with you so long... And yet you do not know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's God. Now, when we get to um, the first chapter of Hebrews, um, you don't go very far, just a few verses. And it tells us there that Jesus Christ is the express image, the exact image of the Father. And as you move along in that chapter, you'll come to a point where God the Father says to concerning the Son, Thy throne, O God, is the scepter of righteousness. He's God. So, um, you know, uh, there's something I'm uh, pretty happy about as far as a verse of Scripture. I'll, I'll mention it to you in a moment. But before I was saved, I would see cars with, uh, the bumper stickers those bumper stickers on that say, Jesus saves. Just simply that, Jesus saves. You know what, how I would respond? I would say, What's all this stuff about Jesus? Whatever happened to God. That's what I used to say. And the verse of scripture that I ran across after I got saved that I absolutely loved is where Paul says, The things I did I received mercy for because I did them in ignorance. And I was ignorant. Then I praised God when I saw that verse because of what I used to say. And, you know, it just simply reminds me of God's mercy. I mean, that, that, was, uh, that was not anywhere near the worst of the things I used to say. And I'll tell you a little more about, about that. You know, we don't know a lot about each other prior to our salvation because really we want to forget all that, right, and move forward. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about that, uh, about the way I used to be. Uh, as we move along here Um, now um, so verse 13 again looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works this is jam-packed in these four verses. Verse 11, about the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There's our marching orders. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, the hope that lies within us that the Holy Spirit puts there. Who gave himself for us, our sacrifice, his atoning work, That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. He redeems us from all iniquity. Now that redemption is just not the forgiveness part. I mean, he doesn't say, all right, I forgive you for it, and then you keep walking the way you always did. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Um in respect with respect for the sanctification of process and the fact that this is a, an ongoing learning process, um we could paraphrase that verse a little bit, um uh second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. How's it go again? If if any man be in Christ, he is becoming a new creation old things are passing away behold all things are becoming new Uh, that's not the way it reads but uh, that's kind of the way it is in in our process in this life but praise God he keeps moving us forward and you know about the time we think we've arrived he moves the mark out doesn't he and uh, there are new challenges new tests in our lives to uh, to teach us what we need to learn but it says he, 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 that he, might, he, he gave himself for us, verse 14, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a pe- peculiar people. You know how sometimes it seems as though we're just not getting there. You ever had that feeling? I'm stumbling along, I'm struggling, and I've got this trial and this test that I failed and now I've got to go through it again and, and I'm just not getting there. And he says to us, he's going to purify unto himself a peculiar people. He will get us there. Uh, Zealous of good works. Now, that last statement about being zealous of good works, I'm going to spend a little time on in a moment, but let's talk about this peculiar people for a minute. Uh, Your translation may say a people for his own possession um, or his own special people. That word peculiar means special, set apart unto God, unusual and it's, we're unusual in that we have taken on the nature of god who saved us we taken we're not what who we used to be we've taken on the nature of god and that makes us unusual not to each other but to those outside to unbelievers we're strange uh... the cross offends right the scripture tells us and uh... Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for it's what? Foolishness to him. And, you know, sometimes, especially uh, shortly after we're saved, we're uh, almost a little ashamed to act now the way we're supposed to act in front of people, knowing that, that we look foolish to them. And, uh, and that the cross does offend. But we have to quickly learn to get over that and represent who, uh, represent God in the way He's called us to do so. But, um, so, pecu- that word peculiar means special, set apart unto God, unusual. Now, we have a foundation, and it's one that never wavers, for we stand on the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ. He is our foundation, and all of us who believe have that foundation in common. Um, Now, the world also has a foundation. I don't know if you knew that or not. They have a foundation, too. But it's not him. Neither is it the same foundation among them. And whatever it is, it's sinking sand everyone has to have something that they that they believe in that they stand for uh, there's almost no one that i've ever run into that that goes about this life without establishing something that, that to them is important to stand on uh lost people have to do that their foundation may be ethnicity might be street gang a street gang they belong to It might be religion. It might be a favorite actor, a certain sports team, uh, becoming a goth, joining the goth movement. I mean, you could go on and on with what this foundation might be. But all of them have their roots in pride and prejudice. They're very proud of whatever that foundation foundation is. And sometimes that comes out. ethnicity is an awful thing to, to use as a foundation because it creates prejudice if someone is not your same ethnicity um you demean them if that's your foundation now there are people who well, there are all people of all different ethnicities and if that's not their foundation they don't have that problem um but it's true of all of them really uh, or most of them but uh if you join a street gang, that's pretty tough because whatever street gang you join, you're instantly enemies with all the other street gangs. And uh, so that that's your foundation. Religion. Um, the, um, the extreme uh, Muslim problem that has cropped up, radical Muslims so-called faith that um, uh, they they behead Christians if they won't convert sometimes they don't even give them the option to convert Uh, over in Turkey and Somalia and places like that different places in this world are not kind places to be Um, and they are in the uh, process of attempting to their desire is to, to convert everyone to the Muslim faith a favorite actor you know people will be talking of people that are movie goers they'll be talking about uh, uh, so-and-so who's their favorite actor and if someone else has a favorite actor before you know it they're in an argument over which one's the best actor um, that's there because they, they put their uh, they put, plant their feet on that and um, it means a lot to them um, Uh, a certain sports team—you know how that goes. You know the violence that can eru- can erupt at football games and, and so on. The goth movement—you um, know—about ab- a year ago, I was driving down Calkins Road here, and there were several goth people dressed in their full garb, all the black, the black cape, and all of that thing, walking up on the sidewalk. And as I approached, to, to, I was going to go about to go by them in, in my car. I could read on the back of one of the capes, and it said, God hates us. God hates us. Amazing. Now, there are believers or so called believers in the Bible that the Bible talks about, and I want you to take a look at these with me for a moment. Uh, In John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. We, uh, we have uh, some text concerning this. And Jesus has just completed his um, first public miracle, that is, turning the water into wine. And it says here in John chapter 2, verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what is in man. Now this text says that they, many believed in his name, when they saw, but it was when they saw the signs which he did. You see, they saw the man, they saw what he did, but they did not revere him for who he was. They did not believe in him the way we believe in him. And so Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man. For he knew what was in man. Now, there's another group. If you'll turn to John chapter 8 with me. John chapter 8 beginning with verse 30, and the Lord has just spoken about all the things concerning his departure from this earth. And it says here in verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free they answered and said to him we are abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone how can you say you will be made free now they mean abraham's descendants physically We've got to distinguish here between the physical and the spiritual as we read through this how shall you how can you say you will be made free Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You can tell the way Jesus is talking to them that he knows their heart. And he knows that whatever they believe isn't what they ought to believe. It's not a saving belief. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, physically, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. See, that's their foundation, isn't it? That's their foundation. They keep coming back to that. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, spiritually, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Now they got to figure this one out. Abraham had no desire to kill me. You know what that says? That, that says that uh, Christ was alive back when Abraham was alive. They're going to catch on to that eventually here in the text. I don't think we'll go that far. It's a rather lengthy text. but um, So he says, Abraham did not do this. Verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. Hmm, I wonder who that is. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now that, when they said to him, we were not born of fornication, that's a slap To the Lord, because they believe, they don't don't believe these people uh, in the virgin birth. They believe that uh, Mary and Joseph um, had Jesus out of wedlock. So this is a slap, which the Lord just fluffs right over. He He ignores this. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And I would encourage you to read the rest of that that chapter. It's a little lengthy. We won't go any further with it right now. You know, it seems that in addition to genuine believers, there are make-believe believers around us all the time. A lot of them are good people. Uh, There are some who are not so good. Uh, Paul, in his last meeting with the Ephesian elders, just as he was about to depart from them, said to them, After my departure, ravenous wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. So that's certainly a different breed of, of unbelievers. Have intent to do harm uh, to us. Uh, most most don't, and uh, praise God for that. And there's opportunity to share the gospel, the gospel with both groups. Um, uh, you never know what God will do. Uh, now we're going to look at what who seems to be a fairly harmless, harmless uh, uh, unbeliever here. His name is Demas. If you'll take a look at Colossians chapter four, verse fourteen, at the end of. Uh, Paul's uh letter to the Colossian Church. Colossians four fourteen says, uh, uh Paul says, Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you. So Luke and Demas were traveling with Paul. Demas was in the ministry with him, it, it would seem. But as we look at Second Timothy chapter four, verse ten, again he's winding up his, his uh, letter to Timothy here. 2 Timothy 4:10 he says for Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica He has departed for Thessalonica now that word forsaken means to abandon he has abandoned Paul Paul says nothing to us about if he suspected this if he could see something in Demas that might have been you know if he sensed something that might have not been quite right for a Christian but, um, it's, but the key here is that Paul says he has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now, if we take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we'll see what the problem is here. Having loved this present world. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So I think we can be certain that when Demas, and when he forsook Paul, uh and departed for Thessalonica, that he probably didn't join the church in Thessalonica. He's gone back to his worldly ways. You know, some of the, sometimes these things are, are difficult to sense, and again, we don't get any, there's no text here that tells us whether Paul did or not. Sense a problem here. But um, sometimes you can begin to sense things in people who um, otherwise seem to be fine, joined in with us, and so on. And we have a, 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 an obligation, if we do sense those things, to, to help them to see the truth. Um, it's, it's, it's something we certainly should desire to do. You know, if you ever get that uh-oh moment with someone when the way they're acting or the things they're saying they just, just don't measure up to that of a Christian, and yet they think they believe or they profess to believe, um, we owe it to them. Galatians 6.1 commands us to say something, and uh, we, we certainly owe it to them. Um, so what is it that distinguishes one who professes to believe from one who really believes? 1 John is very distinctive about that. We'll take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John is very appointed about what he has to say here, isn't he? You know, you go to Bible college and you learn Greek, when you get proficient enough in it, And you're going to finally do some translating. 1 John is the first book that you translate because the words are so simple. Words in 1 John are so simple and straightforward. So it's the first exercise in uh, translating. Verse 4 says, He who says, I know him. I mean, if you're not used to it, uh, you will become used to it eventually. There are people that claim to know him who don't know him. Uh, They have a different concept of what knowing him really means. And uh, sometimes it's difficult to pick up the fact that they don't. Um, But he says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Uh, you know, I, I've I've been a, a fan, if I can use that word, of uh, Pastor Tom Hauser from Open Door for years. We've often listened to his messages online, and um, he's, he's he's just always struck us as being an excellent preacher. And one time he was preaching on this subject, and he said and he said something that was very simple, but but so excellent the way he put it. He said, "You know, if you claim to be a Christian, you ought to act like a Christian," and that's biblical. Actually, we could be stronger than that and say, if you if you claim to be a Christian, and if you really are, you will act like a Christian. Maybe we stumble at first, but God is in the process of sanctifying us, and he will get the job done. Philippians 2.7 says, He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a promise. And praise God for that promise, because where would we be without his working in our lives? Uh, Romans 8.29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. And I know, I don't know about you, but it seems like a long road getting there. But um, he is working at it. And that's that's the blessed hope in that department not just of his coming, but the fact that uh, he is working with us. All right. Um, So verse 6 here, He who says he uh, abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked, just as Christ walked. And I'm reminded of something Pastor Ken says to us a lot. Now, I can't recite the whole thing because I get all jumbled up with the words, but it ends up being, our walk talks louder than our talk talks. Right? You've heard him say that many times. If I try to add the first part, I'll get it all mixed up. But um, our walk talks louder than our talk talks. And that's exactly what John is saying here. Now, in Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, It says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure." You see the contrast there? You see, first John, we noticed how black and white he was. There's no gray. You keep his commandments, or you don't keep his commandments. If you keep his commandments, you're a believer. If you don't, you're not. Uh, there's no gray. So we've got to be careful making excuses for people. That's not going to help them. That's not going to help them, and we need to help them. So verse uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Again, black and white, one extreme to the other. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess to know God. Now we just saw that in 1 John chapter 2. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. So people saying, yeah, I know the Lord. So you have to kind of get used to that. So he says, verse 16 in Titus chapter 1, They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So there's the con- contrast. Now, in conclusion, I'd like you to turn to Second uh, Timothy chapter two, beginning with verse eight. Second Timothy two, and beginning with verse eight. And Paul says, beginning in verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's an amazing thing here that Paul has just said. He said, remember that Jesus Christ at the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. In verse 9, we need to really home in on and pay attention, close attention to, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. You see, he's being that peculiar person, and he's going to suffer trouble. He's going to suffer persecution. He's going to have problems from the world. So he says, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. We know about his imprisonments. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He knew what his job was, and he knew what what the goal was, and what he had to accomplish. And now we get into four more very succinct uh, verses here uh, that we want to spend some time on. Verse 11 says, this is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. These are a series of conditional statements. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. And and I know you're all familiar with Romans chapter 6. If not, uh, that'd be a good reading assignment for you. About being crucified with Christ and raised according to his resurrection in newness of life. We die to the old man and then the new man arises out of the ashes. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. You see, it's not just, just enough to... It, you probably all heard the expression, a firecracker Christian. You know, start off with a bang, and then fade, fizzle out. I'm not sure I really appreciate that term very much, but it serves the purpose here, I think, because um, when we think of the parable of the sower... We know that there's seed that falls on the good ground, but there's seed that falls on the rocky ground that springs up and seems to be doing fine, and then withers away. So he talks here about um, in in um, in verse 12, beginning in verse twelve. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Another conditional question. Another conditional situation here. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. So endurance is, is is necessary. The next one, if we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, and this one's a little different, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So I think the question this morning is, is: Are you a peculiar person? I think all of you are. I think I know most of you that you are. But we, we can't be we can't be certain. We can only be certain of ourselves, um, except that as we get to know each other, we can be certain of each other as well. Uh, I don't agree with the premise or the statement that sometimes is made that I'm the only one that knows for sure that I'm going to heaven. No, I don't. I know just about all of you, and I'm certain you're going there too, because I know you. And uh, otherwise our fellowship would be very hesitant, very unsure. So um, keep being that peculiar person. If we're going to be the influence on the world, the lost of the world, as well as the lost in the church, we need to be peculiar people.